0: Hey guys, before we get into the podcast today, I just wanted to give you a little housekeeping item. Had some audio nerds make some suggestions on microphones. We've ordered those microphones for audio quality on this podcast and they are out of stock. So we're still waiting on those. So if you're a sound engineer or uh, you attune your ear to the things that would bother sound engineers during these podcasts, just know we're working on it. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Love you guys.
1: Hey, Neighbors Church, Alexis here. Welcome to this Wednesday where Dan and I are going to have a little conversation about humility. We all love that word. Actually, most people, when they hear the word humility, get scared. I mean, you've heard um, how the Christian's like, ooh, I don't want to pray for humility because that means something bad's going to happen and I'm going to be humbled, kind of has a negative connotation to it. Yeah,
0: humiliated. It's the same word, Uh, humiliated. And so, yeah, maybe it's a trigger word, but um, we're convinced, and so is the Bible, which means God is convinced (laughs) that humility is the pathway to human flourishing and to true joy, what we're all longing for. And though the road to humility and true happiness be Uh, you know, full of potholes and dangers and distractions. Um, We just can't get around it. The Bible is replete with the call for humans to walk humbly before their God. Mm -hmm. And so from ancient philosophers to discoveries in modern psychology and neuroscience, humanity has long known that humility leads to a life well lived while pride always, always brings our downfall.
1: Andrew Murray said that humility is the bloom and the beauty of holiness. Oh, I love that. Then he goes on to say, The truth is this, pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. That's pretty powerful.
0: That's, that's pretty radical. <laughs> pride intense. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven is going to live in you.
1: It's like having bad soil in your heart. Mm. If you have humble soil, things can blossom and grow. But with pride, it's like you have bad soil and nothing can grow and thrive.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, William Law also said that humility is so essential to the right state of our souls that there is no pretending to a reasonable or pious life without it. We may as well think to see without eyes or live without breath as to live in the spirit of religion without the spirit of humility.
0: And so, I mean, we can quote the great theologians of history. We can look to the philosophers and the virtuous thinkers of antiquity, um, but ultimately we're apprentices of Jesus of Nazareth. And the way of Jesus was the way of humility. His life, his words his behaviors, his crucifixion. All of these things were attitudes and actions that were sourced in a deep, humble life committed to God. And it's why some of the verses that we are so in love with have at their epicenter this notion or call to humility based on the humility of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Jesus says to you right now, come to me. Are you worn out? Are you burdened? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then he he says, learn from me. And what are we to learn from him? He says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We love the easy Part of this verse. We love the light burden. We, we find ourselves like a, a soft pillow, resting our soul upon this verse. But I think that we too quickly gloss over when Jesus says, I am gentle, meaning he's not a power broker, he's not positioning, he's not politicizing, he's not manipulating. He is soft and careful with his ways. And most importantly, he is humble in heart. When we really begin to meditate on the way of Jesus, And the call to come to Him and learn from Him His humble ways, I think it requires a level of introspection and honestly, for myself, a level of repentance that after 20 years of walking with Him, I'm just now beginning to see the depth of how He has been tilling and uprooting the hardness of the soil of my heart and the pride in my heart and bringing me truly, finally, to just bow before Him in his humility, that I might be given uh, a semblance of humility.
1: I don't know about you guys, but there's something that I find so deeply comforting and just inviting when Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I want to follow that. And suddenly, all the stuff, the cares of this world, the things that we feel inclined toward and are also encouraged toward, um, in our culture, suddenly it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, man, I want to follow this humble King. I want to live my life the way he did. And it suddenly just takes the pressure off. It just makes me feel so, just like, I want to be part of that. I feel so excited to be invited into that.
0: And it's so uh, backwards and counterintuitive from the way that leadership is exemplified in our current cultural moment, especially. We have a, uh, a raging, um, all too often ridiculously tweeting president whose whole, whose whole presidency is rooted in power and rooted in dominance and rooted in toughness. And the backlash to that has been the political swing to the left. And though the left may declare a softness and a gentleness and have that uh, that sense at their source, at their heart, what comes across is a brashness and an anger. And what we have right now is we have a culture full of angry leaders brokering for power, brokering for position. And we, the Christian community, find ourselves caught up in it all too often, and giving ear to these loud power brokers and these these authoritative angry voices who are not gentle and not humble, and yet Jesus sits in the midst of that with his cry to us. Mm-hmm. I'm humble in heart. Like my wife said, it's an invitation. And if you're worn out, like I think most of us are, it's a, it's a glorious, welcome invitation that we respond to quickly.
1: You know, often we see that, pride, even as Dan was mentioning, creates this like polarization. But when you look to how Jesus lived, and honestly, the way he died, we suddenly see that the cross, like his death was this ultimate act of humility. And there's not this polarization that's happening. It's actually this, his humility literally is like bringing people together, all people, all tribe, all tongues. I love it. You know, in this past week, I've been just meditating in the book of Philippians, and in Philippians 2 particularly, Paul is talking about having a humility in our relationships with one another, and he gives us the cross as this ultimate act of humility. We read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, "...in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus."
0: Important centerpiece focus in this cultural moment of camps squaring off with one another, voices getting louder and louder. The anger is just seething under the surface in all of our conversations. And then this command from St. Paul in your relationships with one another, think like Jesus, mm-hmm. gentle and lowly. And I think that the the rub of this, the great difficulty in this is that Jesus's humility was exemplified by death on the cross. And so that means that you and I as we exercise humility in our relationships with one another, we will endure, we will undergo some semblance of death for the sake of the other. Our preference may die. Um, Our opinion in the conversation uh, may die as we remain silent and gentle and humble. Um, Our desire to stereotype or caricature the person that's in front of us, rather than really listening to them, that will have to die on a cross. We will need to absorb, and I'll be frank, we will need to absorb what we consider to be the cruelty, uh, the manipulation, the or even sometimes just the, what we consider to be the downright idiocy of the person in front of us, humility would say, out of love for them, I'm going to absorb this so that I can live in relationship with them with the same mindset of Jesus, which was, I love this person. I love this person that I think is an idiot. I, I love this person that I utterly disagree with. And there is a terrible, terrible difficulty in learning to live that level of humility. And the only place that it can, can come from is those deep points of meditation on the cross. Those, those hours and hours spent with Jesus himself, exemplifying humility towards us in love, dying for us, his enemies, dying for us, the ones who rebelled against him and rejected him and, and power brokered and ended up crucifying him, yet that humility is exemplified in love towards us.
1: Let's talk about a couple of ways um, that I guess we're made humble, so to speak. Um, I think we have to pursue humility intentionally, but there's also um, a way that we're made humble passively or you know, even just from our circumstances. So Dan, why don't you take how we can pursue humility intentionally.
0: Yeah, it's a both and. There's an active part of us that has to make decisions to to grow humility, to let humility blossom in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading through the Desert Fathers, amazing points of meditation and other points, very strange, very strange writings. <laughs> discard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eat the meat, spit out the bones. But there's this story of a, of a famed monk Uh, living out in the deserts of Egypt in his cell. And his wisdom was increasingly known throughout the land. And so he would have visitors travel from afar to come and hear his wisdom. And you would think that that would be his, his, his point of growing platform. And yet this particular desert father, the more people that came he would flee further into the desert. And the further into the desert he would flee, fleeing the the, the applause of men and, and the pride that that was birthing in his heart, the further and deeper into the desert he would flee and more would come. Uh, and so it's this kind of comedic story in the Desert Fathers of this man intentionally fleeing that which was producing pride in his heart to disappear into deeper, more solitary places with God alone in the desert places. But I think, I think that the story carries great weight for us in our, in, our, in our lives. I know it does for me. There has to be um, an intentional action that is taken against the root of pride in our hearts. And so where pride wells up, where we find ourselves believing the lie, That we are superior to another person. That we hold a better position, a wiser stance, a more enlightened perspective. That can come when people, if we live in our echo chambers and they agree with us. And like the Desert Father, we must find ways to flee that.
1: It makes me think about Tim Keller and how he's been asked you know, why didn't you write books when you were younger? And Tim has said that he actually intentionally waited because he wanted to give time for life experience, for his kids to get older, for more wisdom, for humility. And I really have admired um, that about him when I've heard that story because I thought it does take great humility to say, I'm going to wait on something and give time, allow more life experience to take place. But he intentionally did that. And that's not to say, you know, you can't have young authors. And when you're young, you can't be doing like awesome, cool things. But I think it's knowing your heart and knowing, you know, what's best in partnership with the
0: Lord. Yeah. Uh, I have friends that have written books prior to being um, 50. And they've said there's stuff in there that I wish wasn't in there. And I don't know if Tim Keller would say that about his books post-50 or post-60. Um, but boy, there's, I don't know, every line in a Tim Keller book is like pure gold. And I think that that humility in waiting uh, has brought forth that richness and that that brightness.
1: And in many ways, I think it probably brought more of a clarity, like a more potency to what he was going to say. Um, you know, when we're youthful, I like how you mentioned earlier about humility of words. We just say so many things and it's like toothpaste out of the the toothpaste tube, it's like once it's out, you can't bring it back in.
0: (laughs) I think clarity is a key word um, in relationship to humility. There is clarity of desire that comes. Uh, There's clarity in ways that we can communicate um, our desire or um, our will or our agenda or our cause, whatever it may be. Humility lends itself or it creates a space for clarity to come. Uh, because pride is so intoxicating and pride is so deceptive. And we find ourselves with our vision clouded and we're triggered and we're easily offended and we're um, quick to make assumptions and we're slow to listen. All of those things are sourced in pride. But if there's a humility about us, um, an ability to just be, to just wait, to just let things pass over and let time do its work. Clarity comes from that. So find ways, pray through, read the scriptures. How might you flee deeper into the desert, metaphorically speaking, to flee the dangers of pride and intentionally grow in humility, intentionally grow in unity and, and communion with God as your, as your foundation. That's the act of peace. But there's the passive piece as well, because I I mean, so much of Christianity and the process of walking with Jesus is him humbling us like a good father, Um, not angrily putting us in our place, but seeing that human flourishing comes from humility. God circumstantially orders the events of our lives and humiliates us in the most loving and generous sense of that word.
1: It makes me think of the life of Joseph. And we all know the story. You know, honestly, his brothers were probably pretty prideful. And And at
0: the time, he was kind of a prideful little punk himself.
1: (laughs) And, you know, his brothers were probably jealous of him. They probably longed for the attention um, that their father gave to Joseph. And so in their hurt and... Uh, jealousy, they sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph was put in prison for a large portion of his life and constantly being put in these humble, humiliating circumstances. And even when he walked integrously, like with Potiphar's wife coming after him and he fleed, he was like getting away from her. Still, he ended up getting the raw end of the deal. And You know, had been making his way up, and then suddenly was cast back down, and so his circumstances brought about a humility.
0: And even when he tried to engineer his way out of it, Mm -hmm. you know, those guys have the dream. You've got the bread guy, and we can't remember. It's like the wine guy, and one of them gets their head cut off, the other one doesn't. But Joseph's like, "Hey, these dreams. Would would you guys remember me in front? Remember me in front of Pharaoh? Get me out of here!" And yet. He, circumstantially, he's imprisoned and they don't remember him. Humbling, mm-hmm. humiliating.
1: And so, God, Yahweh, literally for the deliverance of Joseph's people, uses Joseph's humiliation to save, to prepare for his people during famine. And we just can't understand those times when, especially, especially when we're in the thick of it, we just, we don't have eyes to see what God is doing and the ways he's working through really painful circumstances that are, you know, very humbling. And I think that's where we do have to look at scriptures and hold on to his promises that God, you're working through this. And that doesn't mean, guys, that doesn't mean that we're going to end up on top and we're going to suddenly be like second in command to Pharaoh, like what happened with Joseph. But we have to believe that in these circumstances that have brought about um, just humbling in our lives that God, as a loving father, one, he disciplines those he, those he loves. And two, he prunes that we'd bear more fruit. We have to believe in those promises when we're really in the thick of humiliation.
0: Every great and fruitful leader throughout the biblical narrative, um, they go through this process. You've got murdering Moses at the very beginning, that pride-filled heart. I'm going to deliver my people. And then he's run out of Egypt and spends 40 years, um, you know, humbly working with the sheep <laughs> and, and then the burning bush moment. And that thickness of character was created in that long separated season of, of being, un, and, and in many ways, feeling like his calling was gone. It had been dashed on the rocks as, as Yahweh had cast him into the deserts. So you look at young David. He's out there busting bears in the chops and taking down lions with his little sling and five stones, and he shows up and he slays the giant Goliath, and, you know, he's a rising rock star, and he spends most of his um, ascension to the Israeli throne fleeing a demoniac in King Saul. David, this great warrior king, the, the poet, songwriting, psalmist leader of Israel. Um, spent most of his rise to power in a cave, in En uh, And it was there that in those refining places, clarity was given, I think, to David, though each of these men, all of the men and women of the Bible, continued to fail even after these long durations of humility. Uh, you see it over and over and over that God circumstantially humbles us. And I think when we look at our situations right now, we may feel like we are in prison like covid feels like prison to me as uh as a friend to the people that i love and want to be with as a church planter and leader literally praying how do we build networks of relationship when we can't be together in some rhythmic consistent way um and when you look at how God orders our circumstances, it can feel like I can't do anything. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe it feels like you've been cast out into the deserts, so to speak. And um, you're, you're asking, am I still called? You know, I had these dreams like Joseph did, like Moses did. I thought I knew what I was supposed to be doing. And now I'm very uncertain Listen, if that's you, my dear friend, I want you to know you are in the center of God's will. Your character is being made so thick and so full. And like Lex said, coming out of the deserts or being freed from prison does not mean that we will necessarily end up second in command next to Pharaoh. It might mean that like Moses, we make it all the way to the promised land and then the Lord says, that's it, bucko, all done, and takes us home to be with him. Ultimately, in this life, the thickness of character that Christ is producing in us ends in some semblance of death and then ultimately in literal death until resurrection. And so we can embrace what our Father is doing as His loving hand separates us, in some sense imprisons us, in some sense disorients us in our calling, casts us out into the deserts to do what we never thought we would be doing with our lives. All of these things are leading forward to a clarity, to a humility, to a gentleness that's going to really bear fruit.
1: In those moments of of real um, desert humiliation um, seasons, there's an embracing that happens. This embracing of our God-given identity. It Mm. clarifies. I just love that we keep using that word, clarify, because it does clarify our identity It helps us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It helps us have a real, more accurate thinking about ourselves, but an accurate thinking of who we are, our identity as children of God, sons and daughters.
0: Yeah, Moses, who was the great leader, first led by murdering and then becomes, the Bible tells us, the most meek and humble man of his time. Joseph, the great dreamer with his coat of many colors, 17, 15, 16, 17 years old, goes to his brothers, hey, boys, you're all going to be bound down to me. <laughs> and then all those years in prison, his leadership evolves and it becomes this, this gentle, humble, absorbing the wrong of his brother's leadership. At the very end, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. I forgive you, my brothers. This is what God is doing in the creation of humility as he clarifies and as we embrace our true identity in him.
1: And, you know, I think it's important to bring up that this isn't like false humility that we're talking about either. You know, as we talk about not thinking more highly of ourselves, you know, each of us have um, gifts and abilities and contributions to the body of Christ and Um, it's easy to be kind of have the mindset of thinking um, less of yourself um, and to kind of diminish. I'm totally guilty of this, like diminishing areas in your life that God has gifted you. Um, And just having this this mentality that I can't contribute, that's a false humility. But it's also not pendulum swinging to the other side where we're like, our ego is running everything and we are thinking, I am going to be the book author or I am going to be, you know, the next president of the United States. There's like this balance. And that's why humility is able to embrace our God, our God given identity.
0: Yeah. This is what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. He said, for the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to all of you, that's to us, the community of faithful followers, and to those that are being invited into this humble community. Paul said, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, Form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I think it was Lewis, C.S. Lewis, that said, Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, as in, like, your character, and woe is me, I wasn't given any gifts. Um, But humility is thinking less of yourself and more about what your contributions are to others, not what they think about your contributions, Uh, and complicating the brilliant C.S. Lewis right now and just massacring his quote, but I hope you get the idea of, of recognizing that if you have fled to the desert, which you need to do for humility, like the Desert Father, or God put you in the desert like he did with Moses and, and David and Joseph, whatever, however humility is being produced, out there is this embracing of who you are. Um, I love how Ben Witherington says it. Humility knows oneself to be a sacred and purchased loved child of God.
1: So good.
0: So good, Ben Witherington. Humility recognizes and lives into the truth that I am a saved and sacred and loved child of God. I'm not an accident. You know, I think there's a level of, of audacious pride that it takes to say, oh, I have nothing to contribute to society because I'm just not that gifted you're basically saying to the sculptor of a trillion suns, you didn't know what you were doing when you made me. Do you you see that? Do you feel that? I know this is big for myself and for my, my wife right now. We're talking through like, at this stage of our life, what is our contribution? What is our responsibility? We know we're not accidents. And so we're taking one step at a time and seeking clarity through humility. And at the end of the day, Intimacy with God, this participation in the Godhead, that we have been made one with Father by the atoning work of Jesus the Son through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the more we live out of and experience our intimate union with God, our participation with God, the outflow of that is rivers of humility. We become these conduits of God's purpose and will towards others, and we're not We're not bucking for position. We're not comparing which conduit has more Instagram followers any longer. We're simply, we're the conduit that God has made us to be. And it is truly a delightful place to live and be.
1: It's like he becomes the source of our significance and our satisfaction. As we spend time with him, Suddenly, the striving and the comparing and the competing, it settles into this deep contentment in him and his love and his care for us. You know, you guys, Dan and I are literally like dripping sweat. I just looked over at Dan and he has like sweat going down his forehead. So I actually think that's a good place yeah,
0: too. We're in the sauna closet right now <laughs> and I am literally drenched. It's disgusting, but we love you so much. We're we, this is this is our sacrifice for you guys.
1: <laughs> we do love you so much and just encourage you into those, that place of intimacy with God, seeking Him in the Word, in prayer, in community, however that's looking right now, with that intentionality and letting Him form true humility in you.
0: Yeah, we'll leave you with the words of St. Peter. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. That may not be exaltation to more Instagram followers or more necessary measurable influence in this world, but my dear friend in Christ, you will be exalted in the resurrection. You will be utterly satisfied. And the more intimately you live out of that communion with God, the more humility and clarity you'll be given and the more impacting you'll be for the kingdom come in all the backwards ways that we can't see it here. Rest in that today, rejoice in that today. beloved. Shalom, friend.
1: Shalom.